This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Okay, so we have been um, in a series on the prayers of, of the Apostle Paul called Communion with the Living God. And so uh, what we're doing in this series is we're, we're, we're camping out on parts of Paul's letters where he just stops and prays for the church that he's writing to. And today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. If you would open your Bibles to the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And the prayer is actually in verses 9 through 11, but I want us just to kind of get the, the, the flow and the flavor of the overall context that leads, that leads into verses 9 through 11, and we see that in verses 3 through 8. And so we're going to begin reading in, uh, in verse 3 and read through verse 11 in Philippians 1, gospel-focused praying. The Apostle Paul says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much um, that your spirit was moving and working in in Paul's life as he writes this letter and you're, you're revealing yourself and your truth to him and, and even working through him as he prays for this church and that you caused it to be written down and recorded for our church as well. Lord, would you, would you use this passage to draw us closer to you, closer to one another, and to reflect who you are in a world that so is in need of the hope of Christ and the beauty of the good news of Jesus, the gospel. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. Focus, you know, is such an incredibly powerful thing 
you know, it's too bad I didn't learn this as a kid. I would have saved my poor parents and some teachers a lot of grief if I had learned it earlier in life. But I've learned through the years that if I will just block out you know, a certain amount of time, and especially if it happens after, you know, a good night of rest and, and block out two or three hours in the morning and say, I'm going to work on this, this project, you know, this sermon, whatever it is, that if that, that is a focused, concentrated time, it is absolutely amazing what can be accomplished. And in fact, you know, I found that I can do more in that two or three hours of focused concentration than I can, you know, in 10 to 12 hours where I'm trying to multitask and I'm distracted and diverted by this or that. But that takes focus. It, it takes making a decision, first of all, that, you know what, this time, this block of time, I'm working on this and it takes notifications being silenced, takes phone being set on do not disturb, and it, you are all in, focused on what you're, you're doing. When we read this opening to Philippians, what we see is the Apostle Paul's focus on the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We see it as he thanks God for these brothers and sisters. We see it as he intercedes for these brothers and sisters. So first of all, in verses three through eight, we see gospel-focused thanksgiving. Now, when you, when you read Paul's letters, it's really obvious that he is, he's writing to churches, and in most cases, churches that he had a hand in planting and pastoring for a period of time. And so, you know, they tend to break down into one or two categories. Paul had, oh my, churches. <laughs> churches where, you know, he's, he's hearing about what's happening in them, and, and they're causing him to sigh and groan, you know, oh my. My, and then he had amen churches, <laughs> churches where when he thought about them, his heart was just surging with joy because of, of, of how they were, were doing. And, and you can, a lot of times you can tell what type of church it is by the way that Paul begins the body of the letter. So for instance, when he writes to the church at Galatia, he begins in Galatians 1.6 in the body of that letter by saying, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I mean, Paul, yeah, Paul oh my, oh my, this church, what am I going to do? Well, that was not the case with the church at Philippi. They were an amen congregation. And as Paul begins the body of the letter here, is that not obvious? Look at verses three through five. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Look at verse three. He says, I give thanks to my God 
for every remembrance of you. In other words, every time that I think of you guys, it brings joy to my heart and I give, I give thanks for you. Listen, do you have friends in your life like that? Fr- friends that are close to the Lord and that, and that bring you closer to the Lord. And when you are around them, you can sense the Lord working in them to encourage you, they sharpen you, they lift you up, they don't take energy from you, they give energy to you. Do you have friends like that? You need friends like that. We all need friends like that. Because life is hard, and we're also gonna have people in our lives that are not gonna be in that situation in life. We're gonna have Galatian friends in our lives, and you know what, we should. We should, that's part of living for Jesus, is ministering to, to people that, that, that you need to come alongside and, and lift up. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 14 says, and we exhort you brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. You know, th- th- there need to be people, if we're following Jesus, you know, there, there, all, there need to be people in our lives too that, um, that we're gonna have to have harder conversations with and conversations that are more painful and, and that takes, it, frankly, it takes energy out of us. But that's, that's part of, of following Jesus. But listen, if that's all that you have, if all that you have are just Galatian friends, or the kind of people that Paul's talking about here in 1 Thessalonians 5, if that's it, you know, that's a recipe for burnout. So we need both, right? But we, but we need some, we're gonna have Galatian friends, but we need some Philippian friends too. We need people that when we think of them, I mean, it just brings, it, it makes us smile. It brings joy to us. That was the church at Philippi. And he says here in verse four, he says, I'm always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Listen, Paul knew these people. They were just a little congregation as almost all the churches in the first century were. Just this little band of brothers and sisters. And he, and he knew them. He says, I'm praying for all of you. How, how did he know them so well? Verse five. It's because of their partnership. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now the word partnership in Greek is koinonia. Sometimes it's translated as fellowship. When we think of the word fellowship in a, in the, in a Christian sense, in church life, what do, we, what do we think of? We think about hanging out you know, with brothers and sisters in, in Christ, maybe, you know, after church or sharing a meal together, you know, and that is, that is part, that can be part of fellowship. But the, the word that Paul is using here in, in a first century context, it had other layers to it that fill out the meaning. So that word koinonia was used in, in a commercial sense, like if people went into uh, a business venture together, right? Let's say that, you know, James and John, they were both uh, fishermen and the gospels. Let's say James and John bought uh, a boat together 
and went into the fishing business together. Well, they had, they had entered into a fellowship, a, a partnership, right? Um, Tolkien captures this in, uh, in Lord of the Rings because he names the first book of that trilogy the Fellowship of the Ring. And so, you know, Frodo and Sam and Legolas and Aragorn, they did hang out together, but they did a lot more than that. They were on a mission together. That's the sense that it's used here um, in, in, in Philippians, right? These, these brothers and sisters didn't just hang out with Paul. They rolled up their sleeves together with Paul and they were involved in the mission together. They were suffering together. They were rejoicing together. They were all in for the gospel together. So let's go back here and see how it all began. I want us to see the origin story of the church at Philippi. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And let's see where it all began. Let's pick it up here in verse 9 of Acts 16. So Paul is in Troas. And... It says here in Acts 16, 9, that during the night, Paul had his vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Macedonia was where Philippi was. And so in this vision, there's this guy that's calling out, pleading for Paul to come, come over and, and, and help us, help, help us, spiritually help us. These people were lost. They had, the people of Macedonia had never heard the gospel, never heard of Jesus. They were in absolute spiritual darkness. They needed help. The most important help that anybody we could ever give is to tell somebody the good news of Jesus. They needed that kind of help. And so Paul and the other missionaries, immediately the next day, they go across, they go into Philippi. And then, in verses 14 and 15, we see their first encounter with people in Philippi. Look down at verses 14 and 15. It says, a God-fearing woman named Lydia, God-fearing means that she was, a, she was a Gentile who had come to worship the one true God, but she had never heard the good news of Jesus. Her name was Lydia. She was a businesswoman, a dealer in purple cloth in the city of Thyatira. She was listening. Look, the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. So, this is incredible news. Some people have come to Christ They've got a, they've got a place to, to stay in Philippi. They've got a kind of a home base for ministry in Philippi. But trouble is on the horizon. Um, pick it up in verse 16. Once, as we were going on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. You know, this sounds like some of the 
human trafficking, human slavery stories that we uh, hear about um, today and um, pictured in, in the movie uh, Sound of Freedom. Heard great things about that. I encourage you to go. But as she followed Paul and, and, and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. And she did this for many days. You know, the spirit, this evil spirit is speaking um, through her. She, um, she's enslaved to this spirit. It's, it's creating a distraction for the ministry. And so Paul turns to the spirit, not to the girl. It's the evil spirit that was possessing her turns to the spirit and says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners realized their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrates. They said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped but Paul called out in a loud voice don't harm yourself we're all here the jailer called for lights rushed in fell down trembling before Paul and Silas he escorted them out and said sirs what must I do to be saved they said believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them out into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. So we see, you know, absolutely brutal things violent things that are happening in in Philippi and then we see the the beauty of the Lord and his redemption and the new life that he gives to people it's all there it's all there such as ministry but Paul knows that he cannot stay in Philippi his very presence is endangering the believers there and so we see in verse 40 at the end of the chapter, after leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house where they, they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and departed. Now, as Paul writes to them, guess where he is? <laughs> In another prison. <laughs> for the sake of the gospel. But he says, you know what? You guys were with me then, and you're with me now. From the first day until now, you guys have been there. In June of 1940, after the fall of France, 
it was obvious that Hitler was going to attack Great Britain next. The Battle of Britain was going to begin. And as wave after wave of German bombers sailed across the English Channel to drop their loads on London and other cities in Great Britain, every single day and night, these pilots from the Royal Air Force were, were, were flying up to, to meet them. Their, the casualty rate was off the charts, but these guys just kept going up day after day, night after night, until the Nazis were defeated and they quit sending the bombers over because they had lost the Battle of Britain. And Britain's Prime Minister Winston Churchill said, never in the history of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few, talking about those, those pilots, those brave pilots. Melissa and I earlier this summer got to visit Westminster Abbey and at one end of Westminster Abbey, there's a, a chapel uh, named in honor of the Royal Air Force pilots that fought in the Battle of Britain. Maybe if we could show, show that slide. Um, this is kind of a close-up picture of the stained glass in, the, in the, the chapel in Westminster Abbey, but it's a quote from Shakespeare's Henry the, the V and a speech that the king makes in that play. And he says there, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. That was the church at Philippi. Just this, this, this band of brothers and sisters, these few people who were in the, in the midst of this situation where, you know what, they were still being persecuted. The, the people that started the riot in Philippi, guess what, they were still there. <laughs> these people were suffering and they need encouragement. So what does Paul say to them here in verse six? Let's look at Philippians 1.6. He says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now how encouraging is this? I mean, these people are suffering. Paul's suffering. He's in prison for the gospel. But these people in Philippi are also suffering. They are living in the midst of a city where violent things had been done, continue to be done to Christians. And so they were suffering. And in such a situation, it would be a temptation to grow faint-hearted. And so Paul points them to the faithfulness of God. Paul says here in verse 6, remember that it was God who began the good work in you. And it is God that is gonna carry that on to completion. If you remember what God did in Lydia's life that we just read about in Acts 16, in Acts 16 and verse 14, it says a God-fearing woman named Lydia, dealer in purple cloth in the city of Thyatira was listening. What happened? The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. You see, God is always the initiator in our salvation, and he is also the completer of our salvation. That's what Paul is saying here in verse six, 
that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, until the day that Christ comes again and we're glorified. Romans 8 and verse 30 says, and those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. This is the unbreakable chain of God's work in the life of a believer, all the way from election to glorification. God has his hand on you, and he is not going to let go of you. Jesus says in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Now I've shared this before, but every time I see this verse, I think about when our family used to go to the beach and our kids were really small. And I take the kids out and to the surf and you know, the the waves are coming in, just the little kids, those waves look really big, even if they're not really big. <laughs> but you're out there in the surf, and you're jumping waves, and as a dad, you say, hey, hold my hand, right? They take your hand. But what really matters in that situation is not their grip on me. It's my grip on them. <laughs> and dad's not letting go. <laughs> they're safe in my grip, right? If you are in Christ, you are in the hands of one who is not going to let go of you. He started the good work in your life. He's going to carry it on to completion all the way until the day that Christ returns and we're glorified. Is that encouraging? So Paul, Paul wants, them to, to, he wants them to be encouraged here by God's faithfulness. So he's thanking God for them. He's giving them a heavy dose of encouragement along with, us, with it. Gospel-focused thanksgiving. Then, now we get to the prayer itself. Gospel-focused intercession. And we see that in verses nine through 11. Look at verse nine. He says, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing and knowledge and every kind of discernment. Now, we see this over and over again right in this series. Paul, whenever Paul prays for these churches, I mean, every, like every time he's praying for their love, their love to keep on growing. I mean, because a church can have a lot of good things going for it, but without love, everything else is undermined. Paul says in the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Some of you here are old enough to remember the gong show. I'm old enough to remember the gong show. Okay, this was 1970s cheese ball campy stuff at its finest. The gong show was like a variety show and these amateur people would come out, you know, and they would do something, some over the top, just kind of silly things. But when it was too over the top, they would get gonged. You know, Paul says a church without love, you know, that's gong show Christianity. You know, you can have everything else, but if there's not love, Everything else gets undermined. And so he, he prays again and again, as he does here in verse nine, that your love 
will keep on growing, but not only that, but that it will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Where do we get knowledge of God? Where do we learn discernment, you know, between what's true and, 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 and false, right and wrong, moral and immoral? We, we get it from God's word. It's from the word. You know, in Apollo 13, when they have that terrible accident on board the spacecraft, and they have to get back somehow to the earth after that mechanical failure, Jim Lovell, who was commanding that mission, he said, we had one thing going for us. We could look out the window and we could see our objective, the earth itself. They had an objective point of reference that was outside of the spacecraft that would help them navigate the way home. How are we gonna navigate in the crazy culture that we're living in unless we have a rock to stand on, an objective point of reference that is outside of us. We're just gonna get caught up in everything the culture is doing. We have a rock to stand on and that is God's word. It's, it's God's word that, that helps us to grow in knowledge and discernment so that we can navigate in this world. And so that our love is growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. And then he says in verse 10, he says, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of, of Christ. Okay, so it's a purpose clause here. So that you may approve the things that are superior or excellent or the best. And, and be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Because we have a finite amount of time. Christ is coming. That could happen any day. Our lives could end at any day. We're not promised tomorrow. And so we want to be strategic about how we leverage our time and the gifts and the resources that God has given to us. And so he says here that you may approve the things that are superior. You know, some Christians get so distracted by stuff that's on the margins. You know, I talk to people sometimes and they're, they're so into some kind of margin, they're chasing some rabbit trail, you know, that they saw from some TV preacher or, you know, online or whatever and they just get they they're so distracted by just stuff out here at the margins you know futile speculation about you know details of uh this end time event or or that or you know they're so preoccupied by you know the age of the earth or whatever i mean the issue could go on and on and on but there's they're so stuck on some marginal issue when what we need to be captivated by is the core doctrines of our faith the beauty and glory of the gospel. That's what we, those are the superior things. You know, the things that are central 
that we should spend our time you know, digging into. You know, there are people that get so caught up, you know, when it comes to Christian living, they'll get, they'll get off on some kind of hobby horse, you know, some rule or regulation that's not even in the Bible, but it becomes like this huge thing, and they just focus on it uh, myopically, and they just ride that hobby horse right off into the sunset. You know, we need discernment to approve the things that are superior, that are excellent, that are best in the Christian life. We need that as a church because the church can do all kinds of good things, but you miss out on the best thing, the best thing that God has called us to, his assignment is disciples making disciples. And then what do we see here? He says that you may be pure and blameless on the day of, of Christ. Purity. I mean, we live in a pornographic culture where mind poison and soul pollution is a click away. But when we are mindful that Christ could return at any moment, 1 John tells us that has a purifying effect upon us. 1 John 3 and verses 2 and 3 says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. And then he says this, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure, that you may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, and then verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Earlier, we sung that song, Abide, and that's where fruit comes from. Abiding in Christ. Jesus says in John 15 and verses four and five, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Fruit, the fruit of righteousness comes when we stay connected to Jesus. When we abide in him, how do we stay connected to Jesus? Through his people. He uses his people, the church family. That's why Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tells us, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we need the people of God. We need corporate worship. We stay connected to Jesus through prayer. Colossians 4 and verse 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. And then we stay connected to Jesus through his word. The psalmist says in Psalm 1, in verses one through three, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. 
Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that what? Bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. You know, I've seen through the years a lot of professing Christians crash and burn. But you show me, you show me someone who is abiding in Christ, delighting in the word of God daily, staying closely connected to the people of God through their church family, staying closely connected to the Lord in prayer, and I will show you a life that is not going to crash and burn a life that is not going to deconstruct because you're too busy constructing a life that brings glory to God. And that's the final thing that we see here in verse 11, this focus on his glory, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to what? To the glory and praise of God. This is our ultimate motivation for wanting to be fruitful. It's not just so that, hey, we, we can say, hey, I'm being fruitful. No. It's that God would receive the glory. Jesus says in John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As we bear the fruit of the Spirit, Right, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As we bear fruit in making a difference in the lives of people, God is glorified because God is seen. People can see him through a transformed character. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father in heaven. We want people to be able to see him. Praise him. Give glory to him. Let's pray together. You know, I don't know where you are spiritually today. I don't know where everybody is spiritually that's in this room today and watching the stream beyond this or maybe watching this video at some point in the future, but I want you to see who Jesus Christ is today. I want you to see Jesus Christ and his love for you. The love that God has for you and giving his son. He so loved the world, so loved you, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus perished in our place so that we don't have to perish. He died on the cross for sinners like you and me, and then rose from the dead, defeating death for all who will trust in him. There is forgiveness of sins. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter how deep 
you feel like the sins of your life are, I want you to know his grace and his love are deeper still. And his love for you was displayed on the cross and his power was displayed in the resurrection. Turn to Jesus as your savior, your Lord, your king. Rest in his finished work. Rely upon him, trust completely in what he has done for you. Give your life to him as your savior and king today. And so, Father, we, we pray that, that just as you open Lydia's heart to respond to the good news of the gospel, Lord, we pray that you would open hearts right now in this room and beyond this room. Lord, open hearts by the power of your spirit to see Jesus, to turn to him and to trust him. Lord, work, work in our lives as, as believers. This, this letter is written to a church. This prayer is prayed for a church. Lord, more and more form us and shape us um, into a church that's, that's living out this, this intercession that the Apostle Paul gives here that's bearing fruit for your glory. That, that people in our community and around the world can see Jesus and learn about Jesus. It's in his precious name. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.